In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Even without a publicist, Jesus is drawing cross-cultural attention. He's being noticed. His ministry sets him apart. He's charismatic. His counter-cultural message of hope and healing appeals to the gathered crowds. His followers aren't counted by Twitter, Facebook, or even that ancient relic of the digital world, MySpace. He doesn't even have a publicist to help him manage his public persona. If anything, Jesus encourages those he heals to be quiet and to keep their story of healing a secret. Yet keeping anything a secret, then as now, has never really been humanity's strength. Despite his best efforts to keep his fame minimal, Jesus' fame grows. Before long, word of mouth spreads. Crowds gather, and his celebrity status balloons. Soon, the residents of Jerusalem will gather before him, tossing palm branches to the ground, honoring him as though he were some sort of political liberator. In this morning's gospel reading, though, it's the Greeks, not Jesus' usual target audience, but it's the Greeks who are now seeking him out. His celebrity power has drawn out the Greeks. Jesus' fame has spread beyond his own Jewish culture, beyond the boundaries of Galilee, and his ministry is stirring up interest in unexpected communities. And yet, as the gospel reading this morning tells us, Jesus is not celebrating his fame among the Greeks. Jesus knows that trouble is coming. Big trouble. Scapegoating trouble is coming. If Jesus has gained the attention of the Greeks, how long, how long before those who are concerned about a rival authority seek to halt Jesus' influence? Surely the corrupt, the selfish, the, the controlling rulers won't be able to ignore Jesus for much longer. His miracles seem to be getting stronger. Perhaps in the minds of the powerful, it's one thing for some easily deceived beggars to walk, for some skin-diseased nobodies to be healed, and quite another for a respected member of the community, like Lazarus, who was dead and buried for days, to be somehow unexplainably returned to life. The powerful have been plotting against Jesus for some time. But with the resurrection of Lazarus and Jesus' stunning display of power, power over life and death, they must be thinking, this Jesus threat needs to be dealt with. If Jesus has the power over life and death, what other disturbances might he cause for us? They must stop him. 
those who had plotted and schemed their way into power. It's hard for them to fathom that Jesus would not seize power himself. In their power-centric worldview, the threat of Jesus harnessing his celebrity status, catapulting into positions of power, and displacing them as current rulers, <laughs> the threat was too great. Jesus, in their minds, has to be stopped. Jesus must never gain real power. He must be stopped. He must die. No wonder Jesus is troubled. Our scripture this morning tells us that Jesus, in his spirit, is troubled. How could he not be? Knowing that others are actively crafting plans to take you down, to discredit you, to prove that their power is over you, it's distressing. Have you ever felt that way? How many of you, despite your innocence, have found yourself under attack? Maybe somebody wanted your position. Maybe somebody wanted your authority. Maybe somebody wanted your lifestyle. Being scapegoated and the victim of conniving and scheming is rarely fun. Jesus is an innocent victim, not a provocateur of violence. Soon Jesus will be labeled a terrible criminal, a criminal charged with heinous crimes like sedation and blasphemy. These are fake, trumped-up charges. Jesus is innocent. He doesn't remotely deserve the life-ending violence that he will soon experience. He's being scapegoated. Little wonder Jesus says, Father, save me from this hour. What hour? The hour of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus is willing to endure being brutally murdered because his death and resurrection reveal that God's reveal that the world system of scapegoating does not work. The world system of scapegoating doesn't work. As Jesus's ministry makes shockingly clear, rivalries and tensions naturally occur within a community, especially when new ideas are being presented, like people deciding to follow Jesus. Some don't embrace Jesus's ministry. Communities, and even families, are divided between those who follow and those who don't. Jesus is causing societal tensions. When scapegoating occurs, the blame for societal tensions is usually placed on an innocent person or some minority group. In Jesus' case, he's the one who will be blamed for creating a ruckus in the community. As the leaders in Jerusalem later demonstrate, uniting the city's population to punish the scapegoat, that's Jesus, will help the community unite together. With a single bloodthirsty voice, the crowd will unite in shouting, crucify him. This previously divided community will come together to punish the one that they deem guilty, regardless of Jesus's actual innocence. Normally, 
the scapegoating ritual, the peace or unity that's increased in the community by the act of punishing the innocent victim will, before too long, fade. And another scapegoat will be needed because scapegoating never really works in the long run. In an act of astounding selflessness, Jesus will submit to this scapegoating farce. Though his non, through his nonviolent actions, Jesus allows himself to be arrested, tried, and violently executed. Instead of society being brought together by Jesus' death, the opposite happens. Because death doesn't hold. Jesus is brought back to life. Jesus' resurrection calls out the foolishness of scapegoating. The community's divisions remain. Scapegoating has failed. How often do we engage in scapegoating? How often do we villainize someone, disparage some group, or knock some idea? How often do we want to blame all of our problems, all of our society's problems, on somebody or some political party? How often do we wish that certain politicians or other leaders would just go away? All political parties are guilty of having a scapegoat mindset. Yet in this season of Lent, we have an opportunity to examine our core beliefs and actions to turn away from wishing harm to others who are made in God's image. Jesus doesn't harness his fame for selfish reasons. Rather, he deliberately and courageously exposes scapegoating as the corrupt system it is. With God's help, we can disengage ourselves from the scapegoating mindset and no longer join the crowd in condemning those who are innocent for the illusion of peace. Amen.